every day of our life. Uh, Whether the man comes in or the woman comes in with a t-shirt on that says, I'm a false teacher, which rarely happens, we understand that we face false ideas every day. Every day, God's people are confronted with false ideas about who God is, about who Jesus is, about what it means to follow Jesus. Every day, we are challenged in our mind and in our wills with the truth. And with what is false. And friends, so is the church that Peter wrote to. But what we'll find this morning is that Peter is writing to a congregation that didn't have a group of false teachers come riding in to the church and begin to teach false doctrine. But rather, what we will see today and what should bring us to sobriety and humility is that these false teachers came from within the church. From within the own members of the church arose false teachers and false prophets. What is the church to do? How is it that we can avoid what is false? Now a few weeks ago we ended chapter 1 in 2 Peter, so it's been a few weeks, and so I just want to remind you where we're at. We're in the the letter of 2 Peter. It's the second letter that Peter wrote. I know, you don't have to go to seminary to to learn these things. Um, It's quite amazing. Uh, This is the second letter that Peter wrote to most likely the same congregation. We know this because he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. So he makes it even simpler for us when he tells us what he's doing. But what we see here in this passage that, that what we considered a few weeks ago is these false teachers were really combating or, or teaching, excuse me, three things. First, they denied that Christians needed to live a holy life. They, they, they taught licentiousness. That is, they taught that it was, you were sort of free to live however you want. You were saved by grace, and therefore it doesn't matter how you live. You can continue to live however you want. Jesus' blood is sufficient to save. Just live it up. Uh, Live in the world. Don't worry about how you live. You're saved by grace. And alongside of that came their understanding of judgment. You you see, when you don't really, if you don't believe in judgment, then it doesn't matter how you live, does it? If you do believe in judgment, you do believe that God is going to judge the world, well, then it does matter how you live. That is, the way you live today matters for tomorrow. But we see also centered around both God's judgment and holiness was the personal return of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is coming again. And so we, we saw in chapter 1 in verses 16 through 21, Peter argued that we must believe that Jesus is coming again, that we should do so both because of eyewitness testimony. Peter was taken back to the transfiguration where Jesus was transformed there on that mountain And he saw a glimpse of Jesus' future coming. He saw a glimpse of Jesus' sovereign power and authority over the cosmos. And so the eyewitness testimony, but we also saw that we should believe that Jesus is coming again because of the prophetic word. That is, the Old Testament prophecy has now been confirmed. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. That every, every promise, as Paul says, finds their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so Peter here in chapter 2, and really the the whole chapter, and we're going to divide this chapter into three parts, uh, lest I weary you with a long passage. 
Uh, we're going to look at three parts of this over the next three weeks. And, and what we see here in chapter 2 is Peter gets at the heart of the false teachers. He gets at the heart of their, their lifestyle, and their teaching. And what he does is he contrasts the, the faithfulness of the testimonies that he brings, that the other apostles bring, with the unfaithfulness of the false teachers. So that, the goal being that we would conclude that it would be foolish... For us to follow these men. It would be foolish for us to follow false teachers because their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, as Paul says. Or as Peter says here, the dog returns to its own vomit. The sow after washing returns to wallow in mire. The end is near for these men and women, and so we should not follow them. And so Peter here is telling them, we should not follow these teachers. And then in chapter 3, he will return to teach us more and reveal the truth about the Lord's return. And I know uh, there's many of you who are encouraged and excited to hear about second coming or end times uh, sermons. And and you'll have them in a few weeks. All right? Uh, So hang on. Well, this morning we're going to be in 2 Peter in chapter 2 in verse 1. Page 1018 in the Pew Bibles, if you don't have a Bible open, I just encourage you to grab that because, as I prayed earlier, we we gather here not to hear from me, um, but to hear from God. And so we want to hear what God has to say this morning in His Word. 2 Peter chapter 2, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. What is Peter's point here? I've summarized it in this way. Christians must be aware and alert to the dangers of false teachers who will look to lead you away from the truth and into error. We avoid what is false by following what is true. And so as Christians, we must be aware and alert to these dangers. We must not be sleepy when it comes to false teachers. We must be aware. And so the purpose of our time this morning is really to awaken you and warn you. Kind of bring out before you the false teachings that we face. Some of the things that you and I are confronted with. And to see, did you detect that it was false? Or did you think that it was true? And so Peter offers us in these short verses three ways to protect ourselves from false teaching. Three ways that we're going to look at this morning, in our, in our brief time this morning. Uh, three ways to protect ourselves from the dangers of false teaching. First, stay alert. Stay alert. False teachers are here to destroy your soul. False teachers are here. They're not there. They're not coming. They're here to destroy your soul. So stay alert. Secondly, we'll see stay humble. False teachers will will attract many with their teachings. False teachers will attract many with their teachings. And then third and finally, stay wise. Stay wise. False teachers will be destroyed. False teachers will be destroyed. 
So first, let's look here in verse 1. Stay alert, Peter writes, because false teachers are here to destroy your soul. In verse 1, Peter writes, but false teachers, false prophets, excuse me, also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter here warns them that, look, in the Old Testament, among the nation of Israel, there were false teachers and false prophets. Just a cursory reading of the Old Testament, we know that the nation of Israel was plagued by false teachers and false prophets. So much so that they really just sort of turned a blind eye to them. They really just kind of just listened to them. They kind of, and they're like, we really can't shut them up, so we're just going to start listening to what they have to say. The prophet Jeremiah addresses much of this when, when he addresses the people and deals with the false prophets and, and goes head on head with them. And so we know that the nation dealt with them. Peter himself alludes to one here in chapter 2 when he refers to Balaam, the son of Baor, there in verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Uh, you'll be remembered when the nation of Israel left Egypt, when God delivered them from slavery, as they were making their way to the promised land, they, 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 made, they faced excuse me, uh, that false prophet Balaam. And God there rose up a donkey to speak to the people. And so we see that false prophets were, were a constant problem. And, and Peter here applies and, and reminds them of that, just as we heard in Deuteronomy 13.1. In the scripture reading earlier, Moses says, listen, false prophets are coming. We, we should be alert, be aware, he says, that false prophets are coming. We should not be deceived when they arrive. We not, should not be surprised. Just as Jesus himself warns his disciples in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And God's people should not be surprised when false prophets come, when false teachers. We, we shouldn't be shocked by it. We shouldn't be, shouldn't be surprised. This is what Peter is getting at. But notice again what he says. He says that just as there will be false teachers among you, Peter especially points to the fact that these false teachers are not coming from outside, but from within. They're among you. They're with you. They're sharing bread with you, as he'll talk about later in this chapter. They're at the Lord's table with you. They're at your potluck dinners with you. Uh, you're rubbing shoulders with them. You're hanging out with them. And worse, you're listening to them. As Christians, we should not be surprised when we see false teachers, even among us as a congregation. We should not be shocked when we see those who are teaching error. Though we should not continue to allow it, we should not be surprised by it. That's, that's my point here, as well as Peter's. Peter is not advocating that we just remain and allow false teachers to continue to teach, but rather that we need to be alert to them. We need to have an ear open to what people say and how people are teaching. Well, this is why I have your Bibles open in front of you. And why I encourage you to test everything I say. As, as the Bereans often did for the Apostle Paul. They would go home and check the scripture. And be like, hey, is this, is this what this guy's preaching true? Or is it false? Well, brothers and sisters, never take for granted what you hear. Never just say, oh, because he's a pastor. Or because you know, he, he seems like he, he knows what he's talking about. Friends, the ones that know what they're talking about are often the ones you want to run from. Because they don't know what they're talking about. And so, brothers and sisters, we must be alert to false teachers. 
We must be alert to their presence and know that they could be among us. Now, now again, we're, we're not going to uh, become uh, kind of freaked out by this. We're not going to start checking everybody. But the point of the matter is this. We want to listen attentively, not passively. We want to think. What am I hearing? Is what I'm hearing what Jesus says? Or is it what the world says? This is what Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 19 through 21. And in that passage, he warns the elders that there will come false teachers from among the church in Ephesus. Now, my point in alluding to that is that part of the responsibility of the pastors or elders, it's the same same office in the Bible, a pastor and an elder, it's the same thing, is that pastors have a responsibility to help guard the sheep from false teachers. You might wonder, how do we do that? What was sort of the practical way? Well, we do that by preaching God's word expositionally on the Lord's day. That is, we take the Bible, we open it, we, we seek to understand what is the point of the passage and how does it apply to my life. So, so you're not hearing this, this Lord's day, nor really any Lord's day, a topical sermon that is just sort of some pithy thing that I came up with this week or some really wise thing that I think would be helpful for you, but rather we want to see what does God have to say and seek to understand how the church has understood that passage for 2,000 years. So if I start teaching something that, that for 2,000 years the church has never taught, well, then we're in trouble. Or if someone arises among us and begins to teach things, well, this is again why we use the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Or why we use a a statement of faith that was written back in the 19th century. Because what we understand the Bible to teach is what we understand Christians to have believed for over 2,000 years. And so we're committed to, to true doctrine. Now we notice here in this passage, staying alert as we continue to stay alert, we need to understand the tactics of these false teachers. So if you look again at verse 1, we see a bit of their, their tactics, don't we? Peter says, these false teachers will arise among you and who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction says that they will come secretly among you. Again, as I said earlier, false teachers don't have t-shirts made up that says false teacher on it. Okay, they don't, they don't wear stuff. They don't have baseball hats. They don't announce, you know, hey, I'm here today to lead you to hell. But friends, that's what they're doing, as we'll see in a moment. No, he says that they bring in secretly Secretly, The idea here is that they bring in, they add to. All false teaching centers on this singular truth. It is gospel plus something else. False teachers take the good of the gospel and add things to it. As if the gospel is not good in and of itself, they take the gospel and say, all right, gospel plus you've got to dress a certain way. Gospel plus you've got to hang out with the right kind of people. Gospel plus you've you got to have your hair fixed a certain way. Gospel plus you've got to sing a certain way. Anytime you add something to the gospel, it is false teaching. Anytime you, you add more to faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to God's glory alone, you are in danger of going astray. And that's what they were doing. 
They weren't coming in and saying, hey, we've got a whole new way to follow Jesus. They were saying, no, you follow Jesus and you get to live however you want. You keep following Jesus. You keep going to church. But guess what? You can get drunk. You can have as many wives as you want and many partners as you want. You can do whatever you want in your life. You can hate as many people as you hate. You can gossip as much as you want to gossip. You can live it up because, because of the gospel. See, it was gospel plus something else. And we see here, Peter says that they will bring in what? Destructive heresies. The underlining word there is where we get the word heresy from. But the idea is, is a cult or a, a sect. They were seeking to divide the church. And notice what Peter says. He, he describes their teaching as what? Destructive. See, all false teaching gives you the hope of something that you think you need. But in the end, what it does is destroy your soul. False teaching is nothing to flirt with because in the end, the the Apostle Peter says that it will kill you, both physically and eternally. It is destructive, he says. It will destroy your mind and your heart. As Jesus warns in Matthew 24, as he tells his disciples, listen, false teachers are coming. You better get awake and you better get alert. And when they come, they are coming to destroy. As we read a moment ago, they are ravenous wolves. What do wolves do to sheep? They eat them. They don't play with them. They don't don't go out to lunch with them. They eat them for lunch. And so, brothers and sisters, we must not flirt with false teaching. One of the most prevalent false teaching in our own day is the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. The likes of Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn. The focus is on material wealth and physical health. And if you don't have it, God must hate you. Or there's a problem with your faith. You just don't have enough faith. So if your loved one died, it's because you didn't have enough faith. If if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. And if you give them money, you will be miraculously healed. Which never comes, and so you must not have given enough money. Or you didn't pray enough, or you didn't do enough. Friends, it is always gospel plus, don't you see? Brothers and sisters, we must not be taken into that. The prosperity gospel has affected even some among here, among us. And just a few weeks ago, I was talking with one of our own members about how she had given money to a false teacher. And she was one of our poorest members. Because you see, ravenous wolves don't go for strong sheep. They always go for the weak sheep. They always go for the sheep that's hurting, the sheep that's maybe limping, the sheep that maybe has burdens in their soul. This is why, as a congregation, we must care for one another. We must love one another and give ourselves into thinking about others. Some of our brothers and sisters who may be more vulnerable. We don't imply weakness in the sense that they are weaklings, but they're more vulnerable. And so us as stronger sheep must stand up for the weak sheep. We must stand up for those who are vulnerable. We must fight for them and guard them from such error. Other examples would be bad theology. 
brothers and sisters, this is probably more prevalent among us as conservative evangelicals is bad theology. What do I mean? Bad theology about the gospel. We water down the gospel. We confuse people and say, oh, all you have to do is, is do some simple little things and you will be saved. We confuse people about the person of Christ. We make Jesus the Jesus of our own imagination rather than the Jesus of the Bible. A Jesus who is loving, but yet who is willing to throw over tables in judgment. Do we take our understanding of Jesus from what you know, we read in a magazine or what we see on TV or from what the culture tells us or whatever we think Jesus is? Or do we actually read the Bible? We have four Gospels that tell us who Jesus is and what he came to do. We also see bad theology about what a church is and what a church should be doing. Brothers and sisters, if we are not taking our cues from the Scriptures, not from what we see among churches around us, but what does the Bible say we should be doing as a church? What is a church? What's a church member? We see confusion about evangelism and even church ordinances. I don't know how many times Southern Baptists question me on my... <laughs> the times I tell them that only baptized believers can come to the Lord's table. I tell you, every, every Lord's Day we do that. I get someone that will bark at me about that. And what's so funny about that to me historically is that Baptists died in England, were killed because of this practice of removing non-baptized people from the Lord's table. Oh, what we do to our heritage. Every Christian church has believed historically that only Baptist church, only Baptist baptized people take the Lord's Supper. Even the Catholics believe that. Bryn, how often we give ourselves to false teaching. And we see he, Peter in verse, uh, in verse 1 shows us really the height of their own heresy. Even denying the master who bought them. We see that's the height of all heresy. The denial of the Lord Jesus. That Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. You see, it was the denial. But, but how are they denying Jesus? This is the point we must not miss in this passage. It's easy to say, okay, look, they're talking about Jesus. You know, they, they say a lot of Jesus stuff. And, and brothers and sisters, I want you to know, all of those false teachers I mentioned mentioned Jesus on every day. You watch their program, they're mentioning Jesus. And you can be like, wow, they're talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus, talking about God and his love and all these things. But you see, what happens is, is when you do not faithfully follow this Jesus, then you are denying him. When you and I willingly rebel against God and living life our own way, we are saying, Jesus, you're not Lord, I'm Lord. And we deny his lordship. Every time we sin, we deny the Lord. And here we see that they're denying the Lord through their licentious living. They were free to live however they wanted. To abuse their Christian liberty and in turn deny the very gospel they claim gave them liberty. You see, when we live our life contrary to Scripture, we're not following Jesus. You see, we can lie to ourselves all day long. We can tell, you know, give ourselves little pep talks in the mirror. 
a little quiet talks in, in the car about how I'm trying to be a good Christian and follow Jesus. But when our life is characterized by us living our own way, oh, we have no hope. And so he warns them here. And brothers and sisters, let us not miss the gospel we see displayed even among these false teachers. Peter says that they denied the master who bought them. Peter uses this wonderful word, this, this word that belongs to this wonderful word group in the Bible on redemption, on purchasing. That God purchases sinners, that he buys them for his own. It's a wonderful idea that, that in the gospel, God redeems sinners. He buys sinners. He purchased them from every tribe, tongue, and nation through the atoning death of Jesus Christ, His Son. For all those who would ever repent of their sins and trust in Him and be saved. Will you trust Him today? Will you know that Jesus died on the cross so that God might purchase you to rescue you, to liberate you from your sinfulness? Oh, I pray that you will turn your life and believe upon the Lord. Go His way rather than your own way. Now, one very quick note about this passage that may give some trouble. Some have been confused how Peter could say that the Lord bought these false teachers. And as you looked at it, you might be stunned by this. How, how is it that they are denying the one who bought them? How is it that these false teachers could have been said to be bought by the Lord? It appears that they weren't even Christians by their teaching. Is Peter here teaching some universal atonement that Jesus, you know, universally died? I don't think so because I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Rather, what I see here is that, that these false teachers were, again, apparently members of this local church who had made professions of faith before the congregation, had joined the church. And so everybody knew that they were Christians. And so everybody had this understanding. These are people who Jesus died for but yet who it seems, by their lack of faith, proved to be false. This again is Peter's point in verses 20 through 21. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the Lord through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better that they've never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. See, they were like the seed sown among the thorns. Remember Jesus telling us that there's going to be some seed that's going to be cast among the thorns. And, the, and when the cares of the world and the riches and the pleasures of life come, well, they're going to choke out that seed and their fruit does not mature. One final note, we must remember that true saving faith is enduring faith or persevering faith. Uh, those who are genuinely saved endure to the end. But as Christians, we must stay alert to the teachers and teachings around us. We must have our eyes open and our ears alert to what people teach, even your pastors and Sunday school teachers. Because what they're teaching, what the Bible teaches. It is our responsibility to reason and to think wisely about teachings we are hearing and following. It's our responsibility. Just as the first church faced false teachers, so, brothers and sisters, we will face false teaching. And we will correct it with God's word. We will steer our hearts back to following the Lord. 
We see secondly here, the second point, uh, the second way that we fight and avoid what is false is by staying humble. Stay humble. False teachers will attract many with their teaching. Verse 2 is one of the most sobering verses, I think, in all of 2 Peter. As a pastor, it breaks my heart when I see it, but it happens nonetheless. Look at it, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. He doesn't say a few, you know, a sprinkling. He says many. Isn't that devastating to know that many will follow their false teaching? Many will follow it, and because of that, outsiders will blaspheme the glorious name of Christ. Attractional church ministry always leads people away. That's what we see here. They, they took up an attractional ministry. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to get more people on the Lord's Day, and I bet you could. You, you know, started serving alcohol during the service, and you know, people could just live however they want, do whatever they want. You know, it doesn't matter. We'll accept you as you are. It, holiness is out the window. I'm sure we'd pack the house. You know, it's funny. Everyone wants to follow false teachers because in our sinful heart, that's what we want. Again, remember, they were teaching licentiousness. They were teaching a life of sin. Peter says their sensuality. Uh, that is, it seems to be a life of, uh, of lack of self-constraint. A, a life of, of just living however I want. But, but yet the word here seems to, to imply that their sexual sins could flourish. Green summarizes their teaching in this way. Their teaching was flattery. Their ambitions were financial. Their lies were dissolute. Their conscience was dulled. And their aim was deception. We see here in this passage that that they had words of flattery. And many will follow. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Not true words, the true words we, we heard about earlier that come from the Holy Spirit, but false words, words of flattery, words that will attract you to their lives. Brothers and sisters, I can't think but of our own day. Churches that stretch the same road that we sit on and do exactly the same thing. Churches that week in and week out have watered down God's word to a point where they remove all moral and ethical standards. The Bible is clear. The Bible is so clear that marriage is a covenant commitment between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It's not between two women or two men. But yet some who claim the name of Christ wrongly lead people astray. Brothers and sisters, this isn't something to get mad about, but to be humble about. Because as we see the world go to these false teachers, as we see the world go astray, do not think your heart is so strong that you do not go the same way. Daily, hour by hour, moment by moment, this world is chipping away Trying to get your heart to harden itself to God's Word. 
trying to say, you know, maybe it isn't that bad. Love is love, right? We hear it, and it sounds good. And it rings somewhat true in our own ears, and it has an appeal to it. Slowly, through our exposure to that kind of theology, our hearts are hardened, and we fall away. Brothers and sisters, in our own day, in our own culture, even in our own church, we can be led astray in such a way. But we can't change God's word. We can't cut verses out that confront us in our sinfulness, that expose our own wickedness. We can't just excuse that and say it's okay. No, we need to make God holy and we need to see that God has called us to holiness. We must not water down and twist and distort. But we must see that following God will bring the greatest joy and greatest happiness. Disobeying God in following your own heart will only lead to pain, misery, and sorrow. It will never lead to joy and happiness. If you doubt me, ask any of the Christians around you and they will tell you. They will tell you that following Jesus brings the greatest joy that they've ever experienced. That doesn't mean they won't have pain and trial and difficulty and their checking account will be zero and you know they, they're going to be struggling with their health. But I'll tell you, they will be content because the Lord is sovereign. Peter offers us here the result that false teachers lead those to blaspheme the name of Christ. When we live our licentious lives, what we do is we bring shame upon the name of Christ and slander. More than that, Peter points to outsiders also slandering the way of truth. As we see how these Christians live, they concluded that those folks must, that must not be the way of life. You see, when Christians live in sin, it confuses non-Christians. Because you see, when Christians are the ones always sad and always broken and always messy, and never seem to have any joy at all, it doesn't mean we don't have messy, broken lives, but, but, but do we have contentment? In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, wonderful story. Christian's early companions tempted him to go a different way. They tempted him with the easy road of sensuality and pleasures in this world. One of those was Mr. Worldly Wise Men. He came to him and tempted him to go a different way. The way of death, as Christian would later describe it. You see, Mr. Worldly Wise Man had convinced Christian of a different way, a more easily way, a, a road not filled with so much moral exhortations. A road filled with pleasure and happiness. The only problem was, as Christian learned, was the road was not filled with happiness or joy or pleasure. 
And friend, I just wonder how often are you allured by the pleasures of this world away from following Christ? Christian, how often are you? Let me dissuade you from going that way. Let me convince you that go God's new way in Jesus Christ will alone bring you joy, happiness, and pleasure. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. For wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. As we see, many will be lured away by false teaching. And so we must stay humble. We must stay alert and we must stay humble. And finally, very quickly, we must stay wise. You'll see at the end of verse 1 and at the end of verse 3, in parallel fashion, Peter here draws out the conclusion of these false teachers as a way to sober us and to keep us wise. In other words, Peter says this, don't follow them because if you do, you will be destroyed because they are going to be destroyed. It's a comforting thing to know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Particularly when I see sisters in Christ and brothers in Christ duped and taken in by such false teachers, I am reminded and comforted by this verse. That swift destruction is coming upon them. Swift and sobering destruction. That God is going to destroy this false teaching. That He is not going to allow it to continue. And also, it is sobering. If you see in verse 3, it seems as if these brothers, or or these uh, false brothers, uh, thought that they were getting away with it. Notice what he says in verse 3. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Apparently they thought they were all good. Again, their theology had led them down this path. They didn't think that God was a God who judged sinners. And because they denied the judgment of God and that judgment isn't coming, they thought they were getting away with it, that they could kind of get off scot-free. And to stress the point here, Peter repeats the idea twice. He says it's not idle and it's not asleep. You know, so often we do that in our own lives. We get away with sin. And here's what we do. We think we can get away with it again. When we escape God's immediate judgment, we must not think we will escape His eternal judgment. So often we escape His immediate judgment. God rightly deserves to judge us instantaneously. I mean, you think about in the Old Testament when Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. Or when Ananias, Sapphira, lied to the Apostle Peter. Do you not think the Apostle Peter knows what swift destruction looks like? He saw it, didn't he? When Ananias and Sapphira came and lied to him and to the rest of the Apostles, swift destruction, immediate destruction. You see, delayed judgment often leads to pride. I got away with it. No one will know. Brothers and sisters, God knows. There is a day of judgment coming. And it will not be an idle day. God will not be with his hands crossed and sitting back in the the easy boy. He will not be asleep. It will be a sobering day. 
You know, so often we see false teachers. We see the likes of Joel Osteen and others. We see the wealth that they have amassed. We see Dollar, Creflo Dollar, what a name, right? Uh, going out and buying million-dollar planes. And you look at all of their success, and you look at all of their popularity, and, and, and what you could conclude wrongly is God must be okay with it because they're successful. Oh, brothers and sisters, success does not mean you're following Jesus. Just because things are going well and, and there seems to be prosperity does not mean you're following Jesus. And this is what Peter warns of. So for you today, as Christians, we must be aware and alert to the dangers of false teachers who will look to lead us astray from following the truth and lead us to follow error. We avoid, again, what is false by following what is true. And I want to leave you this morning with a story, not of a false teacher, but of a true teacher. Someone who spent his entire life, who left a lasting legacy on countless millions because he was faithful to follow not the words of culture, though it would have been so easy for him to do that. So easy for him to drift in the, in the way the culture was pushing. But he stood alone at whatever cost it meant, even the cost of his best friend, to follow the true words of Scripture. And not some cleverly devised myth. A man who lived his Christian life before the watching world for over 70 years without even a whisper of scandal, a financial Theft, without anything to do with sexuality or any sin. Consider for a moment how many scandals we see run across our headlines every day. I'm sure tomorrow morning we're going to wake up to another one. Just this last week, a governor falls. This week, it's going to be a senator, maybe even a president one day. Yet, this man lived his life in the public eye before the watching world for 70 years and not a whisper. Not a single accusation from some woman 50 years earlier. Never once. Consider the faithfulness of Billy Graham and his commitment to following the truth of God's word rather than to turn so easily to false ideas and false words. Friend, allow his legacy to be a reminder for you to avoid what is false and follow what is true. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we know that there is much more here in your word to hear. And may our ears be attentive and open to your word. May we know what is true that we may detect and see what is false. Help us, I pray, as a congregation to stay alert to the evil around us and to the evil one, the one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. May he not devour your sheep this Lord's day or in the days ahead. Guard us, we pray, as a congregation from false teaching and false ideas. Help us to stay humble know that we could fall away, that we could be allured away by enticing desires. May we find our satisfaction in Christ and in Him alone. 
And Lord, we pray that we would be wise. Lord, help us be discerning in our days ahead. And Lord, I pray that many, countless thousands, would be saved for your glory. We pray this for your glory and our eternal good. In Christ's name, amen.